Welcome to Murder in the Black with Steph and MB. Murder in the Black. I'm your host, Steph. And I'm MD. And we are back for another episode. But before we get into that, we wanted to give you guys a couple of announcements, MD. Yeah, so you know, we're quickly approaching the end of season three, which is crazy. Uh, So we're going to take this break. Uh, We have this episode and two more after this episode. And we're going to take a break and use that time to plan for season four and try to make it bigger, better than what season three was. We have had such a great uh, season and we want to try to utilize all the feedback that we've received and, and just of course, like try to pursue our dreams and visions for the, the podcast as we grow. And so we just thank you for coming on to, you know, whatever podcast platform that you use and leaving us comments and reviews. We look at every single one of those and we just greatly appreciate all the love you guys show us and the feedback that you give us. Absolutely. So we actually did conduct a poll on last week's episode entitled Kevin Roman, You Can't Expect You From Others. And we got the results of those polls. So, or that poll, I should say. So, the question was this. And so, you can, you know, leave us some Instagram comments if you so desire. Let us know what you think on that particular post. But the question was, do you believe it's worth it to date multiple people? 7% said yes. 56% said no. And 37% said yes, if you're honest. Well, Were you surprised it. at all? I, you know, no, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not surprised. I think that's pretty accurate mm-hmm. to what, you know, we were even saying right. between the two of us. So, right. yeah, I think yeah. that's pretty, pretty solid. Yes. So let's get into our episode for today. This episode we have entitled Moving Too Fast. Moving Too Fast. Yeah. Like Lightning McQueen. You okay. know, that's a TikTok uh, right now that's like I know, I saw it. I love it. <laughs> I saw it. <laughs> because I love Lightning McQueen. But you yeah. know what? All right, let's let's yeah. do what we got to do. Grab your coffee if it's the morning and your wine if it's the evening. But either way, let's get into it. All right. So we've entitled this episode, as we already said, Moving Too Fast. And we got this from a episode of Evil Lives Here. Have you heard of that show, MD? Uh, you know, vaguely, yes. Vaguely, vaguely. A little bit. A little bit. You know, you can't be a true crime junkie and not have heard of some of the stuff, even if you don't watch all of it. Right. So I, I know I heard of it and I well, I hadn't heard of it when I initially watched it. But it's so much good stuff there. A lot it's I would say it's I would dare to say it's a little darker than the mild, other mild stuff on ID station. Well, and that's I mean, and that's, that's saying a lot. That's saying a whole lot. Because <laughs> if you know the ID station, you know. You know. They, if you know, you know. Mm-hmm. That's what they say. So our case takes place um, in 1992. And we immediately meet Jill Garrison. 
Now, Jill was a single mother. She was raising two beautiful, might I add, two beautiful daughters. And she was just on the cusp of having a divorce, right? So she was trying to, you know, kind of get her groove back, you know, mm-hmm. a, little, a little Stella, you know. <laughs> and she just was, you know, just wanted to go out. And she was really, she struck me as a person who doesn't usually do this. Like, this is not her typical thing. She would stay in with her kids. But it was her cousin's birthday. Her cousin invited her out. They were at a bar. And her cousin kind of, like, moved around the bar. She knew it. She was well acquainted with it. And that's when she met a man named Nate. Now, Nate was attractive, well-dressed. He had, you know, um, he was just like, I would I would describe him as a person who was very self-aware, had a lot of confidence, and she immediately was attracted to him. And they kind of just hit it off. And she started to receive some attention that she wasn't getting, I guess you could say. Right. You know, because when you, when you get a divorce, it's one thing to get a divorce and, you know, you don't have any children and you're still kind of young. Mm-hmm. You know, and even if you're not young, it's like I don't have any attachments. Right. And I'm out here. I'm trying to get my, you know, I'm trying to date. But I think when you sometimes when you have children, you you have there's a hesitancy there. It's like, mm, should I be doing this? Maybe you don't feel as sexy as you once were, you know. So I, you know, I think that that's the overall like mood I got from her. You know, her narrating the story and kind of telling us her initial meeting. So they exchanged numbers. It was like basically six months of courting, and. She decided to move him in. Why? You know, like, just why? Six months? Yeah. She don't know him. Not really. Okay. It, okay, so, side, side. I mean, do you... I, I know there's another case that we did back in season two. Um, I did it, and it was similar because the woman had... Two kids already mm-hmm. met this met this guy at church. They had a quick courtship. She moved him in. I just think that as a single mother, you have to be careful when you have kids, right? For sure. Like I think you should have to. You should be careful, yeah. even if you don't have kids. But okay. Well, yeah. Even but I see what you're saying, especially when you have kids, mm-hmm. because it's not just you. That you have to look out for. You have to look out for the well-being and the safety of your children. And particularly as it relates to just exposing them to multiple people over and over and over again. You know, like, you know, you don't want your kids to have to get unhealthy. Kids can get attached pretty quick, you know. Very true. And you don't want them, you know, if you don't work out with this person, you don't want to have to then explain to your kid, well, we didn't work out because, you know. I agree. I mean, I just think you should be cautious, mm-hmm. right? I, I think that's the word that we're looking for. You need to be cautious um, at any stage in the dating phase, you know, just be cautious. Um, so she moved him in. She really felt like he was polite. She felt safe around him and loved. And she was just really caught up in the rapture, which we've all been. I mean, I'm here to say I've been caught up in the rapture too. Jess. Caught up in the rapture? You know, Anita talks about that. Yeah, she does. Mm-hmm. I mean, caught up in the fabrication, too. I've been there. <laughs> the lies. The lies. <laughs> the lies. 
Okay, y'all, we're going to get it together. So she was convinced he was a good person. And absolutely, she felt like, I found the one. Like, he's a keeper. However, it's really interesting that there were red flags there. I'm sure there were red flags. And when you're caught up in the rapture and you're caught up in the, you know, just just enthralled with the person that you first meet. Sometimes you ignore those flags and you just or you don't think of them as flags. Right. Hindsight is 2020. So he moves in and immediately Nate loses his job. He can't find work. So the bills start to pile up. As you know, that just produces stress. Life is already stressful enough. You add in the fact that the person doesn't have a job and they're not really actively looking for one. Um, it's just a lot more stress. No one was calling him back, according to Jill. It was just a very hard time. So one day, Jill is prepping breakfast in um, in their home, getting ready for the day, and they get a knock on the door. It's the police. As you can imagine, when she answers the door, she's like, what's up? You know, hey, what's, what's going on? <laughs> like, is there a disturbance? And the police immediately said, hey, are you at home by yourself? Because we're looking for Nate. (laughs) And she's like, oh, well, you know, he's here. You know, very innocently because she feels like, I don't know what this could be about. And they arrest him and tell her that, you know, she can come down and, and figure it out at the, you know, police station. But he was wanted for robbing a convenience store. And right there on the spot, MD, I know you're about to get to it, but right there on the spot, he actually admits to stealing at the convenience store. He like he says it like yeah, I did it. I, I did it. It was me. We didn't have no money. What do Arrest you think me. about that? I mean, you guys already know that I'm I'm going to say you never, never talk to the police without your attorney. Even if you're guilty, innocent or guilty, get an attorney. But or wait for your attorney. But in this case, I'm glad he confessed. <laughs> okay, but you know the ending. Though. I do know the ending, but I'm glad he confessed, friend. <laughs> okay, so you know he said it was a mistake, and they arrest him, and he goes to jail. Well, the good thing about it is he didn't he didn't have a gun when he committed this offense, and it was his first offense. So they were very lenient, and he only spent a couple of months. In prison. And she kind of felt like she was responsible for Nate going to jail. Why? Because she felt like, you know, he was doing all that he could, you know, to, and maybe she could do more to make sure they were financially okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she just felt like she was putting a lot of pressure on him. And that is what eventually led to this, this act of right. robbery. So she's the catalyst for him actually robbing right. the convenience store. According to her. You know, okay. she felt like she was the catalyst. And she definitely wasn't. But, you know, when you're in it, you don't see it as that. Your perspective is different. So, you know, she really dismissed it as this is a mistake. He's not ever going to do this again. And if he gets a job, everything's going to be okay. So she actually helped him to get a job. And everything was looking up. Everything looked Great. 
Then he started to buy her some outfits, which, you know, MD, you know, your husband actually buys you outfits, right? You know, listen, my entire wardrobe, (laughs) maybe not my entire, but I would say a good 85% of my wardrobe, which this is going to shock a lot of people, my husband buys. Yeah. He like literally takes pride in dressing. He if he were here right now, he would say, I don't. I don't take pride in it, but he does. <laughs> he takes pride in dressing his whole family. So he buys my clothes, he buys my shoes. He I mean, the only thing he don't touch is my makeup and my hair products. Right. But right. he does a good job. Like friends, like I feel like I look good when I, you know, step out. So right. like hubby on you and know, I love Dallas alert. I love it. I feel like I, you know, it's like it's like Merry Christmas in my house, like all the time. Okay. A little Seriously, I just got some Jordans chill. yesterday and I was just like, <laughs> I had no idea they were coming. It was just like, hey babe, I bought these for you. Oh, that's Thanks. Cute. Shout out to Dre. Okay. So, you know, he starts to buy her some outfits and everything is looking up because like he has a job. The financial, the financial well-being of the household is, is great. So she has no problem with him buying her these outfits. But to know Jill is to know that she's very modest. You know, she's not the going out type of girl. She's not the flashy girl, you know, the show off type of girl. And when he started to buy her these risque dresses, you know, she was just a little shy about wanting to wear them. Like, cause it, it was, it was very much giving going to the club dress. You know that tight skin dress you cannot <laughs> bend over, and you know if you just cross your legs. It was child. very much giving. This is just appropriate for me and you. I mean, it, but I, you know, I don't feel that way. I'm saying for her, for her, oh, that's for how her. she felt. Okay, yeah. She, I was like, she, if I she was uncomfortable wearing the outfit out in public. Right. It was, I, right. it was because, it, you know, she wasn't, she's like, for her, I'm good wearing it for you, but I'm not good wearing it out here. Right. That is true. Good perspective. Good perspective. So, you know, she tried on the clothes for him and she really kind of thought, as you said, that would that would kind of stop there. Like, and he complimented her, told her how sexy she looked and, you know, she wanted to please him. Like, you... I just think naturally you want to please your mate, but even more so in the beginning. Because it's like, I just want him to be like, you know, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Don't play with me. So, you know, she was okay to wear it in front of him because it was for his pleasure. But the next day when he went out to go play basketball and she always went and saw him, he said to her, hey, I want you to wear that dress. That I bought you. Put that dress on, that red dress. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so they, you know, she is very out of her element. Because first of all, she was shy just to try on the dress for him. Right. So to ask her to go and do it on a public, in a, on public display, she, she was totally uncomfortable. But he convinces her, go ahead, go forward, do what you got to do. And, you know, please me. This is what I want you to do. So, of course, Jill was a beautiful young lady. She immediately starts to get the attention of everybody on the basketball court as men are walking down the street. And Nate starts to notice that she's getting noticed. And he was not pleased at all. The basketball game ends. He's very upset and blames her. For all the attention that she's getting and tells her, in fact, she needed to learn how to behave, which y'all clearly 
red. The flag is so red. I can see it right now from Dallas, Texas. Oh, it's it's six feet tall. It's it's waving. Yeah, but I think when you're young and you are caught up in a relationship, it it those I can admit that those red flags that you just say, oh girl, you know he's just getting a little jealous. He don't want nobody to have me. I've been there. I mean, I think that is a red flag. But sometimes when you're not a season, you don't have enough experience. You know, you just kind of like you dismiss it. Right. All right. So he continued this type of behavior. And one evening, Jill's brother's daughter named Christine comes over to play. Because as I've already mentioned, Jill has two daughters. So everybody is playing. And, you know, Jill is throughout the house doing different things. And they are primarily playing hide and go seek. And they're playing it indoors. Now, it's time for Christine to go back home. Jill's brother arrives. And immediately, Christine goes, she, you know, she, her behavior, her affect is totally off. They know that there's a shift in her behavior. And her father, like, pulls her to the side and asks her if she's okay. And Christine tells her father right then and there, which I think is so amazing. Oh, it's amazing. She tells him, she says, you know, I don't, you know, Nate touched me inappropriately. And, and you know, I hate to keep doing these stops, right? But I just, that warms my heart. I mean, this is, is sickening that this happened to her, but it warms my heart that she felt safe to tell her father. And I think that that is indicative of her relationship with her father, you know, that they had such a relationship where he was like, I want you to always be open with me about this. I will always believe you and I will always protect you in this way. And so I thought that was amazing that she felt safe enough to share that with him. Yeah. Like he created that environment in which, and, and he noticed, you know, her affect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I, there's a meme that sticks out and I like, I say it all the time now, but it says, pay attention when your kids tell you who they don't want to go around. Absolutely. Like, don't dismiss it. And I think that's the that's what we want to do. Like, yes. oh, you'll be all right. Oh, go give uncle so-and-so a hug. No. No. Let your kids choose. Okay? 1,000% agree. So immediately, um, Jill's brother calls her and he's like, listen, something ain't right. She told my daughter, Christine, just told me that Nate touched her inappropriately when they were in the back playing hide and go see. Something needs to be done, you know, like, or I'm going to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So you need to figure this out. So immediately, Jill confronts him. And what does he say? In true form, he claimed that it did not happen and they were simply just wrestling. And, you know, some things, he might have touched something that was inappropriate, but it wasn't intentional. Because they were just, you know, playing. Now, she then goes and asks her daughters, like, what happened? What did you see? And her daughters back up his claim. They said, oh, you know, we were just playing. Like, So that incident is swept under the rug. And she kind of just felt like she told her brother, I think it's a mistake. I think, you know, this is what my daughters are saying. This is what he is saying. Um... But she felt uneasy. She didn't feel, you know, like she wasn't totally convinced. 
Right. That this is what happened. Now, Christine did not come over for a long time after that, as you can imagine. Like, Mm -hmm. so the incident is then swept under the rug and forgotten. Until. Until, MD. Christine goes missing. So one afternoon, she was supposed to be going over to a friend's house, Christine, that is. And she never returned home. And so the brother comes, you know, is Christine's father, is frantically looking for his daughter. And he calls up his sister, Jill, and he's like, listen, my Christine is missing. I need you guys to come help, you know, find find her. So Nate, Nate and Jill both go over to you know, her brother's house and they're looking for Jill, including the police that, you know, they're are assuming that maybe it's a possible runaway. Uh, and they, you know, expressed that he was also concerned and they decided that they were going to just, you know, keep an eye out for her and look for her. But weeks went by and she never turned up and she just became this missing person that many believed was just simply a runaway. Now, Christine was only 14 years old, and I'm not saying you can't run away at the age of 14, but her family just simply didn't believe that that was the case. Like the father, this was not in her character to do something like that, but this is what the police ended up believing. And so it just, she just kind of, the case just kind of went cold in that it was resolved to be, yes, she's a missing person, but more likely a runaway. And Jill noticed that, like, Nate, you know, he started to act weird. (laughs) He started to just become very distant, and he wasn't coming home at night. And she just noticed that he was playing basketball more. He was acting really off, and his mood was changing. He was anxious all the time and even aggressive. And, you know, when she would ask him about it, he, you know, acted like everything was fine. And so in normal Jill fashion, she took his word for it until a knock came at the door Again. In the morning, too. In the morning. And it was the police. Again. Again. And they had a complaint. Again. (laughs) (laughs) That Nate had tried to kidnap a young girl at the convenience store. He needs to stay away. I'm telling you. Stay away, Nate. So he went to the convenience store to pick up a beer and he saw a girl walking home and he asked her, do you want a ride? And she said, yeah, you know, I need a ride. And so she gets in the car. Please do not do that. For all my young teenagers listening or young adults, we do not get in cars with strangers even when we need a ride. I mean, there's Uber and Lyft. (laughs) And your mama. Okay. And so... You know, but she gets in the car, she gets this ride from him, but he wouldn't let her go. Mm. So she, when he finally does let her go, she goes straight to the police. Good job, young girl, and files a complaint. And he admits, I did pick her up, but I wasn't holding her against her will. She could have left at any time. (laughs) And so he, he, you know, tells, you know, again, he willingly talks to the police and openly confesses and so he is arrested he pleads guilty to a misdemeanor which is more likely than not something that the prosecution offered him and you know instead of taking you to trial you plead down and you get this misdemeanor charge so he went to jail for a year and guess who stayed together jill Jill 
Yeah. She rationalized that everything he said made sense. And and I don't know how she didn't think, why are you picking up young girls? I don't know how it didn't come together in her mind that, oh, yeah, my niece also, you know, alleged that he did something to her. My niece is missing. He picked up a young girl. Maybe something is off. This was her opportunity to move away from him as quickly as possible. But she didn't do that. So a year a year goes by, they're still together, he gets out of jail, and Jill has a friend named Loretta. Their children played together played together and it was Loretta was about to move. So she okay. needed to move and she needed help moving. So Nate offered, he said, Hey, I can help you move. So he does. He goes, he picks her up and and, and helps her to move. But a week goes by and Jill has not heard from Loretta. She gets a paper one morning and notices in the paper that Lorette has been, and I'm not sure, I'm saying Loretta, I don't know if it's Loretta or Lorette, I can't remember, Mm -hmm. but that Lorette had been killed in her apartment. Oh my God. Like she was about to leave to move to the West Indies. So she was, that's an, she was trying to go back and be with her people. So that was such a big move. So for her to be killed, that's tragic. Right. And, and I think that, for Jill, because it was going to be like a move out of the country, it wasn't a big deal to not have heard from her in this week. Right. Because, time you know, frame. you're traveling, you're trying to get your stuff back together. That makes sense. Right. So Jill approaches Nate and he's like, she's like, what happened? <laughs> you had you didn't you help her move? Like, did you see something? Do you know something? And he said, you know, when I dropped her off, everything was fine. I mean. She she seemed she seemed fine when I dropped her off. So Jill again rationalizes in her mind. You know, may, you know, I know Lorette is a flirtatious woman. Maybe something happened. You know, maybe she came across the wrong people, and just she just rationalized in her mind that Nate had nothing to do with Lorette being killed. Even though there was a young woman that he tried to pick up at the convenience store, her niece was allegedly molested and it's now missing. She just doesn't pay attention to some of these like big red red flags. Yeah, and a lot and to her credit, a lot of these situations did happen. They weren't we're you know, we're we're talking about it as if it happened linear linearly. It didn't. Um it was time. Right. It was time in between obviously. Yeah. There was it didn't happen back to back to back where Maybe your spider senses are peaked a little bit more, but I do think it speaks to her naivety and her willingness to believe anything that Nate said, even though if we were to talk to uh, Jill right now, she probably would admit that her gut told her something was off, but she also saw some things about Nate that she thought were good and honest and True. True and good, you know, whatever. And so she chose to believe that. Right. And I mean, and, and you're right, because in the episode, Jill, like it is Jill's narrative. Jill is still alive. Um, so if, in case you were trying to predict that, she's still very much alive. But Jill says, you know, I was I didn't see it. I just couldn't see it. I was something didn't feel right, but I didn't know what it was. And I went Along with it, because I loved him. I loved him, mm-hmm. and I knew him for so long. And you know, then, but so you know, just to look at what 
could have been going on with Jill, but also what Jill said herself. You know, this is we're not just casting our opinions on it. Right. This is what she thought and felt. And and I think it's honest of Jill also to to be honest, you know, open about and vulnerable about where she was in that moment. So Lorette's funeral happens and they don't go because even though Jill really wanted to go, he didn't want to go. And so he convinces her and they don't go. So weeks go by and Jill starts to notice that there are more reports in the news about girls' bodies and girls going missing. And so the whole community, not just her, felt like there was a serial killer on the loose. Like it was just this overwhelming feeling that something was off girls are going missing bodies are you know coming up what is happening and Nate was like yeah you know don't worry y'all don't have to worry I'm here I live with you guys I'm gonna protect you as long as I'm here you don't have anything to worry about so one evening he comes home and again remember he's playing basketball all of the time and he comes home and he has some scratches on his arm and he you know tells Jill, hey, these are just from, you know, when I was out playing basketball. And she believes him because she believes she, in her mind, doesn't have a reason to to doubt him. Right. I mean, and because he did play basketball. Like, right. you know, we spoke about that previously. That was kind of like a weekly thing that he did. And even though there were all these killings going on, she never thought that he could kill or that he could or would kill anybody. Until Jill's daughter started to act strange. So remember, she had two daughters Mm. and Jill worked at night. And so not all the time, but sometimes she did work at night. And when she did, he would be the one to watch them. And all of a sudden, Jill's children, her daughters, were like, we don't want you to leave, mommy. And they started to act really kind of just, you know, acted out when it was time to for her to go. They didn't want her to leave, and they began to act unusual about her having to go to work at night. And Steph mentioned this already earlier, but when your children tell you they don't want to be around somebody or they start to, you know, do things like, mommy, we don't want you to leave. And like in a way that it's never been a problem before and all of a sudden it's a problem now, I think you need to let your spidey senses go up and say something is off. Because something was off. But in that moment, she just... And I think that I can also understand this as a mother. You're like, I'm just trying to go... I'm trying to make this money. I'm trying to take care of us. I got to go to work. I, You know, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. And especially if you have a dramatic child. You're like, listen, child. Like, calm down. So she just reassured them, hey, everything's going to be okay. Nate's going to be with you. I know that there's crazy things going out in the, on in the community. But you're safe because you're here with Nate. And so she just kind of brushed it off. But that wasn't the case. Steph, why don't you tell us about what happened? So the truth was really kind of revealed in this moment. Because Jill, you know, that moment came and went. And a couple of days later, Jill is awaiting the arrival of her girls to come home from school. They get on the bus and it's the afternoon. And, you know, she's waiting for them to come home. The clock ticks. It's after four. She calls the school because she, you know, she her daughters just don't come. She calls the school and the principal tells her that her girls have confessed to a teacher that they were being abused. 
and that the person that was touching them was Nate. Oh my gosh. So when she would go to these, when she would go to her night shifts, Nate took that opportunity to abuse her children. So, you know, she just at this, I mean, can you imagine just for a brief second, imagine that being told to you as a mother, you're a good mother. You're trying to do all that you can to take care of your kids. Or a a parent. Yeah, Mm -hmm. as a father too. And that happens. And the person that you have defended, taken back, and that person in your life who you trust does this horrible thing to your most prized possessions. That's why I call my kids. They're my most prized possessions. I call my mine the same thing. And so the most valuable thing I have on this earth. Absolutely. So immediately Nate comes in and he tries to explain. Good old Nate. He gonna try to explain that away. But oh, baby, and he is. That's hard to You're explain. Not explain this. So you know, Jill is crying. She's devastated. The school tells her that they don't know if she will get her kids back. Because right now, they're in, they are in the custody of CPS, and there's a process. Right, because we don't know if you are complicit in this abuse. Did you allow this to happen? Are you, are you neglectful? Did you create an environment where this could happen? That's what they have to analyze. Right, absolutely. So, she... Tells the principal, hey, okay, okay, I know that's the, you know, whatever, that's the protocol, but I'm going to come up there and I want to talk to the CPS workers. I want to, you know, go through this process with you. So Nate agrees to drive her to... What? Yeah, you heard right. <laughs> and I know the story, friends. Like, I know sometimes y'all probably like, Maya, why do you act like you don't know the story sometimes? Because sometimes I am legit still shocked that certain things happen. What? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't under I don't understand that. Okay. But they do go ahead, they get into the car, and as they, you know, are, you know, putting on their seatbelts, they are cornered by two unmarked police cars. The police get out. I mean, just like a movie, chair. They get out. All police are everywhere. <laughs> you know, guns in tow. And they are saying for Nate to get out of the car because he is being arrested in connection to the missing women and young girls in the area. Hmm. Now, this is the New York area, by the way, because I realized we didn't mention where this took place. Oh, okay. But this is New York. And, you know, first of all, Jill is just, she is discombobulated. I mean, like, she's had a day. This baby has had a day. From Hades, okay? okay. And she just is like, what? So they open Jill's door, take him, take him and her down to the station. Detectives question them both for about 24 hours. They come into the room. Nate finally confesses. To killing several women who had been Mm. missing. He was indeed a serial killer. He committed six murders. You know, she was, you know, I I think of this TikTok. I know y'all gonna come for me, but like, I didn't see you. So there is a TikTok that says, it, it features Wendy Williams' voice and it says, Denial is not just a river in Egypt. Yes, it's not. 
And my girl, Gio, was just, she, and I mean, to her credit, not trying to be funny, but seriously, she was in deep denial. Right. I mean, she could not believe that this was happening. It's so surreal to think that here you are with a man that is a serial killer who molested your children. Surreal is the only word that I have. Like, I'm sure she felt like she was living in a complete nightmare because she was. So they release her and they're driving her back home uh, to her to her house from the police station. And they kind of take this back road to her house. It was a shortcut. And as she's, you know, just observing the scenery, trying to take in all this crazy, horrifying information, there's a wooded area. And in this wooded area, you saw police scattered all around. And she comes to find out that that was indeed where he would dump the bodies. Oh, all of them. All of them. Lorette. Lorette. Christine. Christine. And countless others. Yes. You know, she just, she talks about how she was just in disbelief. She defended this man, you know, stood up for him. She was devastated. Of course, they go in her home. They search her home for evidence. Um, You know, her life just became like a horror show and a reality TV show back in the 90s for what that's worth. of Like news coverage constantly of her home. This is the serial killer. This is the guy. Who we've been looking for. Right. And it's your residence. Like, your name is forever is tarnished. tied. Yeah, yeah forever, forever tied to this man. Well, and even bigger than that, I think, you know, all of the people that he killed have value, have worth. But to know that you brought him into the lives of your brother who he ended up killing your niece. And you brought him into the life of your friend. And he ended up killing your friend. Like, the ownership and the guilt, the the guilt that I can't even imagine that she has. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So because they're, you know, the police are doing their thing at the house. And not only that, the news coverage, the constant news coverage that's taking place at her residence, she decides to go and stay with her parents. While she's there, they all sit down and begin to watch TV. And of course, there is a, you know, a nightly TV report that runs and it was about Nate. Now, her brother was present. Um, the whole family was, right? Because they're taking in this information. Now, we know that he killed Christine. But at the time of this TV report, that was not common knowledge. No one knew. We just know he killed six people. So, an anonymous tip is what ultimately led to his capture. Um And that's when, through this news report, that's when they find out that it was indeed Christine's body who was identified as one of his victims. Y'all. I mean, the tension in that house, I can only imagine. Right. You know... Her family immediately asked her, did you know? Did you know he did this? Were you aware? 
I mean, and she's just so horrified. She's like, no, I had no idea that he was doing this. <sighs> Y'all, Chris, Christine, they were, and I think when you deal with these, I think we haven't covered just a ton of missing person um, episodes on our podcast. We have covered some, but I think the thing about missing people is that the family does not have any resolve right it's no closure that's what makes it so difficult and that's that's the that's what it was with them like it was forever like what happened to her Mm -hmm. you you naturally i think you think oh she can't be alive like she would reach back she was 14 she's probably 21 by now you know but to have to come to to terms with the fact that Christine's never coming back home. Right. You know, she's dead. It rocked their world. And they were trying to then, not only has she lost her kids, not only did she eventually find out that two of his victims were people that, as you said, she brought into his life, but then they now have to start planning for a funeral. And because the tension is so deep and so thick, there are people that do not want Jill to be at that funeral. I understand. They feel like, Jill, this is your fault. Mm-hmm. You brought this crazy, deranged man. We saw some of the red flags. You couldn't. Like, what on earth? And you can imagine that, that over the course of years, like, they were telling her those red flags. You know, that's what family does. We were like, that? that oh, family going to point it out. They're going to tell you. He ain't the one. Right. So, you know, her brother allows her to come to the funeral. But, you know, from what she said, they just kind of never talk about it. Mm. You know, it's this unspoken thing, but there's so much tension that's still behind it that their relationship, as you can imagine, never goes back to being the same. Right. Right. It just isn't. So she's distraught. She does attend the funeral and... We want to, before we get into the sentencing of what ended up happening to Nate, I want to read his victims' names off. Right. Julianne, Juliana Frank. And this was actually his first victim. So, to my point, <laughs> to my point, I did not know about this victim. Um, She was 29 years old. Christine Kelby, which was Jill's niece. She was 14. Loretta Revere, who was 34 years old. Angelina Hopkins and Brenda Whiteside. Um, And also Adrian Hunter. So rest in peace to those beautiful souls whose lives were snatched away from their families we remember you here on this podcast. So, MD, can you get a little bit into the sentencing and what ultimately ended up happening? Right. So, he was sentenced to 150 years in prison. No possible, no possibility of parole. Role. And Jill wanted to confront him. She wanted to, to know what was the truth. Now, I think that Jill knew the truth. He confessed already to the police. So really, in my mind, and this is Maya's, this is MD's opinion, but in my mind, what she really wanted was to know why. Why did you do this? And I think that's that 
to that point, and I think it was obviously more personal for her, but I think that's the question that lies within humanity naturally. We want a cause. Why did you do this? Why did you do this? What what was this for? Why? And... You know, he lies to her. He tells her it was a mistake that, you know, he wanted to to tell, uh, you know, he, that she wanted him to tell the truth. But he claimed he was innocent and the police threatened him to, to say what he said. But we all know that that was not the truth. Mm-hmm. We all know the evidence put pointed to him and so did the jury. I mean, he actually got on national TV, y'all, and said that he did it. Right. I just think that when it came to her, he probably couldn't face mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. It and was easier for him to lo- to tell the truth to everybody else, but for her, it was like, dang, I, yeah, I put you through. She started to rebuild her life, and what happened, Steph? Well, you know, she eventually gets her daughters back. She goes through that, you know, rigorous process of getting her kids back. But she admits openly that her relationship with her children is forever damaged. It's forever affected by Nate and everything that he did. Right. Um, You know, having her kids, having survival's guilt. Survivor's, yeah. Survivor's guilt. And I mean, I just, I really admired the fact that she was so honest about that because it's not like her kids are out here getting you know giving interviews right she or her said, brother yeah, she could have said whatever said, we're, she wanted we're great and you know we're healing and yeah. we're doing but she was honest she about, was honest and said yeah we talk and we have a bond but that bond is different it right. looks different so you know she goes on with her life and she is riddled with guilt fear all of the above as you can imagine but she's trying to rebuild and heal. And I think that this interview is a part of that healing process for her. This is my opinion. She doesn't say this, but I think that in order to give yourself permission that this happened, you know, just acknowledgement, right? Like this happened. I played a role in it because I did miss these big red flags because I didn't listen to my gut because I did choose to believe him instead of to, be a little bit more aggressive or when he went to jail to say, okay, this isn't the kind of man that I want around my children, a man that is picking up women, you know, young girls. I think this interview allows her to get closure to this part of her life, permission to say, yep, it happened, and to pick up the pieces and move forward. I mean, this happened long ago, right? This didn't happen. This happened in the 90s. This was 92. So, but I think that until you really, truly embrace, you know, your role, you know, it's hard to move on. So it seems like she's trying to do that and she's acknowledging where relationships are and how fractured and broken those relationships are, but that she appreciates, you know, that it happened and she played her part. Right. And it also serves as a cautionary tale. Right. For young mothers or people, if you ain't got to be a mother, like just people who may um, be caught up in the rapture, as we said, and want to go into, you know, 
living with somebody quickly or seeing the red flags and dismissing them. I think she wants others. That's one of the things that she says, like, learn from me. You know, I went too far or I moved moved too too fast. fast. I moved too fast. I think that the name of, obviously the name of this podcast is Moving Too Fast. But you've said caught up in the rapture so much that I just feel like AKA caught up in the rapture. Caught up in the rapture. And we should just like maybe even play a little bit of Anita Baker, like caught up in the rapture. Way is it's pretty simple. Um you have to I don't think there's a a protocol, right, to follow when you're dating a person. I think you we all make our share of mistakes. Um But what I really appreciated about her and the takeaway that I like to highlight is that she took ownership of not looking at those red flags. And I think that there's somebody, everybody can take something away from that in the sense that you should always look for the red flags and you don't have to be 30 plus to, to do that. You know what I mean? You can identify red flags, know some healthy boundaries, and immediately when you see it, be able to say, no, I'm good on that. Yeah, I don't don't want this. Right. And, um, you know, I think that's my biggest takeaway, an addendum to that. I, you know, I take, I'm very, very sensitive, and so is my sister, just very sensitive about molestation, abuse, And whenever someone says that they are being your kid, your niece, your nephew, a child says that they're being abused, just like CPS, we should take that very seriously. We should take that very seriously and believe the child until something proves otherwise. Like in that case, you're guilty until proven not guilty, in my opinion. You're guilty until proven innocent. Instead Whatever. of innocent until proven guilty. You know what I was saying. I do. That that actually is my takeaway. And it's not really, you know, related necessarily to something somebody or somebody, some someone did wrong in the case or right in the case necessarily. But it's just highlighting really more. So instead of saying it's my takeaway, it's really just more my highlight. I just want to highlight that because I am particularly sensitive to molestation and w- uh, when it comes to children. Um, so many, I, I, ne- I will never forget having a conversation with a few of my sorority sisters. Shout out to Zeta Phi Beta, um, UNT Line, Rho Delta. Uh, but I never forget having a conversation with them. And it was a group of us. I want to say it was like 20 of us and we were just sitting around talking and just about life and the issue of molestation came up and somebody asked how many of us here have been molested and when I tell you that over a majority like if there was 20 women sitting in the room that 18 women raised their hand and then when asked when that molestation happened then it maybe 16 happened when they were children. And then when asked if it was somebody that they knew, those same 16 women raised their hand. And so my point here is that really made me extremely sensitive. From that day forward, I've always had such a sensitivity 
to believing the child and paying very close attention to who your children are around, even if you know them, even if you have a relationship with them. And when, like you said, when your children tell you something, you absolutely want to believe it, but you also need to be alert to what is going on and the type of people that you're putting around your child. And if they have the same values and the same morals and the same, you know, standards that you have, because you just never know. You never know. Because I'm going to tell you, when she got a call from, when Jill got that call from the school saying that her kids had been molested and they told her, told them it was Nate, the story, we would never have known about these other women that he killed because he would have died. That day. That day. Before I could even get to to my kids. He would have died. And so, I mean, it's just heart-wrenching to know that children can be taken advantage of like that and that their innocence can be utterly destroyed by an adult who has like no concern or care so I guess my highlight is for everyone out there and you don't have to be a parent you do not have to have children to take this seriously to be sensitive to this because you could just be in relation you could be the auntie you could be the teacher you could be the friend you could be the neighbor if you see someone acting crazy or off and you're like you know what they're suspicious I can't put my finger on what's wrong with this person but I don't they're creepy believe your gut and protect those around you. You do not have to be a parent to protect. It takes a village. Absolutely. That's what they say. So that's my highlight, not takeaway. That's my highlight for this case. And that was Steph's takeaway. We appreciate you listening. So what do, what do they need to do, Steph? So, you know, if you love what you're hearing, definitely take some time to leave us a review Share our content if you care and keep coming back for more because next week's episode, MD, is just me. I have a bonus episode and I'm telling you guys, this episode was so good and I just want to shout out and I think I can spell their name, you know, spell their name right. I may not. I'll get it right on, on my on my episode's notes. But I actually discovered this case from a TikTok user. Like, <laughs> Shout out. Shout out to her. It is at Y-O-N-E-L-A-L-A-V-I-S-A. So I'm, I'm thinking it's at Yanni Lalavisa. Okay. Yoni Lalavisa. But I saw her TikTok and it sent me down a rabbit hole, friends. A true rabbit hole. And it's, uh, I'll just give you a little bit of tea. It's a South African couple. So, tune in. Yes, until next time, this is Murder in the Black. Bye.